I asked the Lord uh, several years ago, I, I began to do this. And I, I just didn't want the Christmas season to pass without letting uh, the story of Christmas leave a, a dynamic impact on my life. I found myself in a, in a place in my, maybe in my walk with God where maybe I'd stopped walking for that part of the year. And it was just another thing. It was just another story that we told me. It became very routine, uh, maybe mundane. I don't know if that's the right word or not. Um, but I, I realized that I didn't want that to happen. In my life, I didn't want it to happen in the lives of those that I, I had influence over and that we wouldn't just go through the Christmas season uh, forgetting what, what it was really all about. Like it or not, um, the Christmas uh, season carries with it um, you know, I, I understand this time of year is, is, to, is to be a joyful time of the year, and, and rightly so, and we should. We should enjoy uh, the season. We should enjoy the thoughts of uh, the fact that God became a man without ever ceasing to be God. I mean, that's something to be really joyful about. Uh, and, the, and the whole scene of the manger and the Christmas story and the joy that it brings us and, and the memories that we make, um, the time that we spend with family. I, I get all of that. I understand all of that. But I found uh, that in my own life that uh, some of that Christmas story was not having the dynamic impact upon my life that I thought that it should. And I wanted God to use that part of Scripture, that portion of Scripture, that account in the Bible, uh, to, to make me more like Christ and to, and to keep my mind where it should be, even in this time of the year, so that I wouldn't coast out of the old year and into the new year, but rather that, you know, even through the Christmas season, I'd continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And like it or not, with all the joys and the pleasures that are associated with the Christmas holiday, there's a dark shadow that hangs and looms in, its, in, in the background. I, I think it's something that perhaps Mary was even aware of and, and maybe the reason why when she saw everything unfolding, why she pondered those things in her heart. I think any of us that have children would understand this. I don't think you have to have children to understand it. Um, but to know that your child was born uh, for, for something specific, and in Mary's case, was born to die. I don't know how much Mary understood. I don't know uh, what... Uh, uh, prophecies that she really grabbed hold of, but, but I think she had a sense of it. Maybe, well, I know this. she was a woman who pleased the Lord and walked with God, and I know she knew the scriptures. She had to. She had favor with God. You know, that's, that's why she was chosen of God, to bear the Messiah. There's just no denial of that, that she had a relationship with God and understood maybe things that a lot of people didn't understand, and especially as a mother with a mother's intuition would have been privy to, as, as all of this stuff unfolds, and the message, uh, the message from the angel comes, and all it unfolded in her life uh, uh, to that point and after that point, and, and the wonder that must have been in her mind as, as these men come out of the field, these blue-collar workers come out of the field, and they bow not to worship her, not to worship Joseph, not to do anything, but to bow at the feet of the baby that she gave birth to, whom she knew was the, the Son of God, God in the flesh. And she was privy to some things that, that maybe the average person didn't necessarily think of, but she did because she was a mother. And with all the joy and, and the sensation and the magnificence and the, and the magnitude and the majesty that surrounded the birth of that child, in the back of her mind, she knew that there was this looming shadow 
maybe nobody else was really paying attention to but her. You know? And I think it's the same shadow that we, that we can deal with as believers as we go into this Christmas season. Somewhere along the line, we've, we've tricked ourselves into believing that, that, you know, there's only supposed to be joy and happiness. And I, I sound like a real killjoy when I bring a message like this the day after Christmas, but I'm telling you, this passage of Scripture is as much a part of the Christmas story as any passage of Scripture. And this verse of Scripture in Matthew chapter 2 ties the account of Christmas to the account of the cross. And for that reason, I believe it is one of the most powerful passages of Scripture that we find in all of the Word of God. And it says in Ramah, there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, would not be comforted because they are not. The title of today's message is The Sorrow of Christmas. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us today to gain an understanding of what it is that you desire to communicate to us through through thy word. Lord, I want to thank you for... um, answering my prayer request uh, to letting the Christmas story, even this year, have an even deeper impact, a a dynamic impact in my life. And Lord, I pray that those things which you've brought me around to, that you'd bring others around to that also. And I pray, Father, that you would just bless in this time. I pray that you'd help us to forget everything else that's going on in the world and just be with you. Well, thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we celebrate Christmas, we expect the day to be filled with joy and happiness and and smiles. But if we were to linger long enough in our thoughts about this special day, we, we would be reminded that the reason for the season came at a tremendous cost. We should never separate the account of Christmas with, from the account of the cross. And so first of all this morning, I'd like for us to consider, uh, first of all, the sorrow of Christmas. Matthew 2.18 is a quote from a prophecy that we find in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31. And it foretold a horrific event that coincided with the birth of Christ. It's part of the Christmas story. It's well documented in history that King Herod was a madman. Um, from what I have read, I understand that he was a, quite a handsome fella. Uh, he was well-favored. He was a, a, a really popular politician. Uh, he was a great builder. Uh, his family, the Edomites, uh, who are the descendants of Esau, are credited with building a city called Petra uh, that is in, modern day, in the modern-day country of Jordan. Um, he was what many would uh, consider to be a genius, uh, in, in a lot of different respects, uh, but the fact was he was a really horrible human being. Uh, and there's a lot of history that's been written about him. Uh, his life was ruled by sin and anger. Uh, one of his, for example, one of his favorite pastimes uh, was to throw these wild, drunken parties. And, and when everything was at a peak frenzy, he'd bring in some poor victim and, and, uh, and crucify them in the middle of all the party that was going on as a form of entertainment. Uh, he killed his own wife, one of his sons. Uh, he was married at least 10 times. And he was, uh, uh, on top of that, he was promiscuous outside of his marriage. 
Uh, he was called, has been called, a walking encyclopedia of disease from the things he picked up in living such a unrestrained lifestyle. Uh, we, uh, when he realized that his own death was imminent, there's a lot of people that believe he died from a STD, uh, just complications by, from an STD. Uh, and he, uh, he knew that, that people knew he was a horrible person and he didn't want him to celebrate his death. And so to keep the, the, the city from celebrating his death, he directed his sister to assemble all of the leading men from all the parts of the nation into a large arena in order that they be put to death as soon as, as he died so the, 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 the nation wouldn't celebrate his passing. He was really a horrible person. He was a twisted man. Uh, so now, now with that knowledge, think about this, with that twisted mentality, now we understand a little better why the Word of God says that when the wise men came asking, where is he that is born king of the Jews, it unnerved him and led to the murder of all the male children uh, in Bethlehem and the region that surrounds it uh, from two years old and younger. Now, now that makes a little bit more sense when you uh, put all of that together. And Jeremiah's prophecy, which is quoted in Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 18, foretold of Herod's uh, evil deed. And it paints a picture of Rachel, who is the wife of Jacob. Some have called her the mother of Israel, rising from her tomb and weeping for the baby boys uh, that, had been, that had been slaughtered. So because of Herod's sinful act and the murder of the innocents, Bethlehem didn't stay a sleepy little town where people came to adore and worship Christ. It became a place of bloodshed and weeping. And so first of all this morning as we think about the, these thoughts, we consider the sorrow of Christmas. As much a part of the Christmas story as anything else. Now, along with this, what does this do? How does this, uh, this account, how does this verse or uh, th this uh, account of what took place as a part of, uh, of Herod's insecurities or um, Herod's, I don't know, twisted mentality, and what it does for us is it really connects the account of Christmas to the account of the cross. So we consider the the sorrow of Christmas. Now, because of this verse, we can make a connection and consider the sorrow of the cross. Herod's crime reminds us of the sinfulness of mankind. I think we have to recognize, uh, it's good for us to recognize, rather, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We have to be very careful about what we say we would never do. Because the truth is, each and every one of us have the same wicked potential dwelling within us. It's called the sin nature. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible word sin means to miss the mark. And, and every one of us has that wicked potential to miss the mark, to, to transgress areas that God has said don't get out of to trespass and go into areas that God said stay out of there, you know, to miss the mark in, in so many different ways. And, and, and really when we see what, what Herod did there, we might say to ourselves, I would never do something like that. The truth is we can't really say that. The world says to, that we uh, sometimes gives the advice to follow our hearts, and that's bad advice. The Bible tells us that only a fool follows his heart. Why? Why would the Bible say something like that? Why does the Bible always 
got to be negative because the Bible wants to tell people the truth uh, that the heart is, is desperately wicked. So, so desperately wicked that we don't even know the wicked potential that we have that dwells within us. We don't. We look at, again, if we look at things sometimes, what other people do, and, and we want maybe wonder in our minds, how could somebody do that? How, I would never do something like that. I would never venture off into that, to that sin when the truth is we can't honestly say that because every one of us has the same wicked potential within us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Word of God tells us that most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, and that's what we do. We like to believe... Um, because it sounds nice that, that everybody is basically good. But you know that is in direct contrast to the teaching of the Word of God, which says everyone is basically evil. I mean, that's just the truth. That's not a Baptist preacher putting a spin on, on something. That's just what the Word of God says. Matter of fact, when they came to Christ and said, Good Master, Jesus said, There's one good. That's God in heaven. You know? He wouldn't even, he wouldn't even take that upon himself, though he deserved it. Who's God in the flesh? He very well could have taken that compliment upon himself and 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 allowed that, but he but he said, no, there's there's none good, no, not one. Um, really, the what we're dealing with here in the story and seeing what Herod did and and the response to it and and what happened in 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 Bethlehem there in the surrounding area, what well, really speaks of the exceeding sinfulness of man. I. I you know, we changed in our, our bylaws last year that uh, the statement which said the depravity of man. And we knew what we meant when we said it, but it, was one of the, it is one of the five points of Calvinism. And I wanted to steer ourselves as far away from that as I possibly could. And so I chose a different route. Romans chapter 7 talks about the exceeding sinfulness. And, and we, we become aware of how sinful we really are because God gave us the Ten Commandments. That's what the context of, I think it's Romans 7, 12 is, that God gave us the laws for us to be able to see that we really are not all that. We're not good like we basically good like we think that we are. We, we do covet. We do lie. We, we do steal. I mean, in, in other terms that we've used before as I've walked, uh, walked uh, you know, folks through the Ten Commandments, we're, we're coveting, lying, thieving, adultering, murdering, you know, rebellious, idol worshipers so often. And it doesn't take us very long for as we step through those commandments to realize, wow, we really are exceeding sinful. It's, a, it's, a, it's really a, a horrifying thing. To consider how really exceeding sinful that we are. We're not, we're not, that, that idea of total depravity means that man can do absolutely nothing. Well, he can make a choice to receive the payment that Christ made for sins. But the fact is, he's exceeding sinful. And we are, right? I am. Every one of us has the same wicked potential dwelling within our wicked hearts. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're, we're sinners. You know this. I, I've said it so many times before. We're sinners by nature. We inherited that, that sinful uh, spiritual birth defect from our first parents, Adam and Eve. Right? Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. And just in case we might blame Adam and Eve for the problem, it tacks on to the end of Romans 5.12, for that all have sinned. We're all guilty. We're all guilty before God. So we consider that and it reminds us 
of the sinfulness of, of mankind. When we consider the slaughter in Bethlehem, I, I think we need to also consider the slaughter at Calvary and what it costs to purchase our salvation. I don't mind sharing this with you because I asked the Lord to, uh, to allow the Christmas story to, to leave a deeper dynamic impact upon my life this year to, to make me more like Christ. And I, I, I don't mind sharing with you that all yesterday I toted with me this grief in my heart. You say, well, Christmas isn't supposed to be about that. I know, and I, and I, said, I struggled with it a little bit myself, but then I just realized it was God that answered my prayer. And, and along with the, the joy of spending time with family and the excitement of giving gifts and receiving gifts, you know, with all of that and, and that I enjoyed, I, I carried with me this, this little thing inside of me of, of, of just a looming grief, and I didn't really figure it out until last night and, and what it was, and, and what it was was the shadow of what was coming in the Christmas story when Jesus was born. That shadow that I think maybe uh, permeated uh, Mary's mind, She's looking at everything unfold before her and everything and the glory and the majesty and all that we talked about before, that, that it wasn't going to be long, really. Think about that, 33 years. What would we say if somebody we knew was 33 years old and their life was snuffed out? We'd say it was way too soon. And you know, Mary lived, I think, and I'm speculating here, please understand. I think Mary lived every day of her life with that, with that looming thought in our heart. And she made every, the most of every single moment that she had with Christ. As a matter of fact, I think that's, that looming thought in her heart was the one reason why we find her at the foot of the cross. Not, not standing afar off like everybody else, but she was right there. She could see every gory detail. She could feel it spatter of the gore as it splashed off the ground. It was right there. She was right there. And I think because she carried that, that thought, she knew from the beginning and carried and made every single day count. I think about the moment in time. I don't know when it was, but I, I think about the moment in time When Jesus became more than her son and became her savior, you know, she had to have that moment. And when we consider the slaughter at Bethlehem that Matthew 2.18 talks about, we need to also consider the slaughter at Calvary and what it costs to purchase our salvation. When God robed himself in human flesh, he came to this earth, he lived a sinless life, and went to Calvary to be slaughtered for our sins. What had these young baby boys done? They weren't even two years old yet. It's been labeled the slaughter of the innocents. And, and boy, I tell you, there was, if this was called the slaughter of the innocents, Slaughter at Calvary ought to be called the, called the slaughter of the innocent. 
the sinless Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. When God robed Himself in human flesh, He came to this earth, lived a sinless life, and went to Calvary to be slaughtered for our sins. When we think about Christmas, you know, here's the truth. We like to think about the beauty. We like to think about a precious little baby and how beautiful he must have been, how he was adored. But, but let's consider what the Word of God says about that Christ child, about that one that was to be born on that day in Bethlehem so long ago. Isaiah chapter 53, take your Bibles and turn there. I want you to see this. Look what it says about Christ. We like to focus on his beauty and how he's adored. Look at Isaiah chapter 53, starting in verse number 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form or, nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. That, that, that phrase, we hid as it were our faces from him, it's, a, it's the idea of shame. Oh boy, here comes Jesus. That kind of thing. He is despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened out his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had no, uh, done no violence, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. You know, I want you to note that word slaughter in verse number 7. It means to be butchered. It means to be butchered. And I want you to keep that in mind as I, as I relate that to something in just a moment. But, but we like a more sanitized version of the cross. We like a nice, clean, beautiful cross. We use it as a decoration. We, we make jewelry out of it and put it around our necks. It's an instrument of death. Blood and gore always surrounded the cross. It was the worst form of punishment at that time known to man. We like a more sanitized version of the cross, but, but the truth is Calvary was a slaughter. It was a gory mess. All that bloodshed uh, commanded in the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to the blood of Calvary. On the Jews' day of atonement, the high priest would take off his regal-looking priestly garments and he would put on a plain, clean, pure white garment made of linen. And in this plain, clean, pure white garment that was made of lemon, uh, lemons, <laughs> linen, he'd make a sacrifice. Now I want you to think about that. Why do butchers wear white coats? Why would they do that, you know? Why, why would this priest wear, wear something that was pure and white? He was about to go do that deed. 
make a slaughter of that animal. And in that pure, clean, white garment, he'd make that sacrifice and offer its blood in the Holy of Holies on the mercy seat, the, the covering for the Ark of the Covenant. By the time the high priest would come back through the veil into the outer court, the evidence of the bloody work that he did could be clearly seen. You know why? Because he'd been to a slaughter. Couldn't hide it. Be everywhere. All over him. If we overlook the slaughter and the blood of Calvary when we tell the story of Christmas, how Jesus paid for our sin debt, how his hands and feet were nailed to the cross, how he suffered, was beaten, bled, and died. If we forget to tell that part, then we have fallen short of telling the whole story. When we consider that the Lord Jesus Christ was slaughtered, it gives us a very different view of Calvary, but I'm going to tell you, it gives us a very different view of Christmas as well. The sinless Lord Jesus became sin for us, as I mentioned a moment ago, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He became sin for us. There is an exchange that was made. He took upon Him, literally took upon Him, the sin of all mankind. It's why God had to turn His back on Christ and why Christ cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Jesus drank the whole cup of sin for all of humanity and was slaughtered for every filthy drop of it. He desired in his flesh that the cup should pass from him, but he was yet submitted to the will of God. and said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, except I drink it. So the Lord Jesus drank every wicked drop of every filthy thing that can be imagined everything that can be imagined, every dirty thing that we feel badly about, every nasty thing that has left us feeling guilty, every impure thing that we have ever done and all that we will ever do has been paid for by the slaughter and blood of Calvary. I think it's easy for us to understand. It's, it's one thing for somebody to lay down their life for a good, wholesome, moral person. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God slaughtered his own son for you and for me. As Paul wrote to Timothy under the divine inspiration of God, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If you don't view yourself as a sinner, he didn't come to save you. But you are a sinner, and he did. When we consider the celebration of Christmas, it's wise for us to also consider the sorrow of Calvary. We see the sights of Christmas, the ornaments, the twinkling lights that might remind us of eternity in the presence of God, the streets of gold, gates of pearl foundations made of precious stone, the splendor of Almighty God. It's going to be quite a sight, isn't it? I don't think there's a light display in all, in all the world that's going to compare to it. When we hear the sounds of Christmas, it might lift our thoughts to a time and eternity when all the saints of God will sing, as it were, the Bible says, a new song, 144,000 of them singing. It's going to be quite an exciting thing. 
All of that is waiting for those who have trusted in Christ alone as a relationship with God and home in his presence for eternity. But you know, there's something else. We, we talk about that. We talk about the splendor and the beauty and the majesty of heaven. But you know, there's something else that is waiting for those who have trusted in Christ. Something else that we will be reminded of for eternity. Something that maybe we've never considered. And, and it's attached to the sorrow of Christmas. We're going to be reminded of that for eternity. It's going to be with us for eternity. When the Lord Jesus comes, the Bible tells us that his own will recognize him. The Bible says when uh, he comes, we shall see him as he is. And when we see him, we're going to see something else. We're going to see his wounds. We're going to see those wounds. And one shall say unto him, the word of God says, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. When we see Jesus, we're going to see the wounds in his hands and in his feet and on his brow and in his side. And we will be reminded for all of eternity the sorrow of Christmas, the slaughter, and the blood of Calvary. You know, when I think about that, in that context, in that light, it makes all those other messages out of 2 Corinthians 9.15 makes more sense, the unspeakable. For me, that just brings it all together. It ties it all together, and I think makes it what it needs to be. If you've not yet trusted in Christ as your Savior, you've not yet believed in Him alone as your only hope of a relationship with God, and a home in His presence for eternity, why don't you do that today? John 1.12 says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. If you'd like to receive the unspeakable gift of God, which is salvation by faith, by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, all you have to do is believe. What you're believing is this, that Christ is your only hope, a relationship with God and homeless presence for eternity. And right where you are in the quietness of your heart, you can communicate with God something to the effect of, Father, I don't understand it all, but I know this, I'm a sinner. My heart's desperately, desperately wicked. And I know the Bible teaches there's a penalty that needs to be paid for sin, and I believe that Christ paid my penalty. But that blood and gore of Calvary satisfied your wrath. And I want to I exchange my sin for Christ's righteousness and his salvation. And I trust in Christ alone as my only hope of relationship with you and a home in your presence for eternity. You know, something like that. You're just communicating to God from the heart. Not the head. It's not based on knowledge, but it's based on faith. It's, it's based on knowledge. It's based on faith, and it's based on trust and conviction that there's nothing uh, that, that I can do that will allow me to have a relationship with God, and I'm trusting in Christ alone. So if you've never done that, why don't you do that today, whether you're watching on Facebook Live or listening on dial-up. Maybe you're in the building today. God spoke to your heart during preaching of this message as, as you've considered the sorrow of Christmas and the slaughter at Calvary and, and the tremendous cost that this, the reason for this season go, comes along with. So will you not believe and receive his gift today? Will you not commit your life a living sacrifice in return for what great love he has shown us 
promise you this, in eternity you wish you had. In eternity, I'm talking to the believer now, in eternity you'll look at those wounds on his hands and in his feet, on his brow, perhaps in his side, and you'll realize you wish you had. So maybe today you would make a rededication of your life as maybe just thanking the Lord for the last year and then rededicating your life into the new year. Saying, oh God, you know, I'm sorry. And if there's some, some area of your life that's not yet surrendered to God, maybe today you'd surrender that to Him. In light of all that He's done for, for us, that you'd give that thing to Him.